This is episode 14 of the Remix Your World podcast with JTech. Welcome to Remix Your World. I'm Allison Kalagna, global DJ and music producer turned life remixer and personal growth coach. In each episode, we bring you real talk, inspiring stories, and heartfelt conversations of personal transformation to help you uplift and amplify your life. This is the Remix Your World podcast. Australian DJ producer JTech has been perfecting his craft for most of his life. James Kayser, better known as JTech or Jimbo to his friends, was 16 when he first experienced electronic music at a university rave party in Canberra, his hometown. Immediately inspired by what he heard, JTech began crafting music using a simple computer setup and his parents' hi fi speakers. His first worldwide vinyl release, Music 101, was played by DJs around the world and ultimately BBC's Radio 1. Today, roughly 15 years later, JTech continues to inspire fans and contemporaries alike. Currently working on his fourth artist album, JTech is traveling the USA to seek inspiration and further develop his signature sound while continuing to DJ in select cities, allowing him to connect with his fans. JTEC's musical empire reaches far beyond his accolades as a DJ and artist. Positronic, JTEC's first label and home to his third artist album, Awakening, is a platform to promote up-and-coming artists and break them into the scene. Each month, tens of thousands of fans around the world listen to JTEC's long-standing radio show and podcast, one of the first-ever mix show podcast of its kind, and his new Studio Talk podcast is a platform where JTEC interviews his contemporaries in the online music scene. As he continues to expand his music empire, JTEC helps producers break new ground with their music through Red Planet, his online mixing and mastering service. With a new label in the works, JTEC will also soon be taking the electronic music world by storm once again as he continues to inspire the world through trance and progressive house. Over the course of his career, JTEC has appeared at clubs and festivals in North and South America, Asia, Europe, and his homeland, Australia. His big break came in 2006 when Tiesto asked JTEC to appear on the iconic In Search of Sunrise mix compilation series. Shortly thereafter, JTEC was invited to play alongside British trance legends Above and Beyond at the Sunburn Festival in Goa, India. After making an impression on the Anjuna Beats team, he was then invited to London to work in the Anjuna Beats headquarters as a studio engineer. With the release of his critically acclaimed debut album, Everything Is Okay, JTEC toured with Above and Beyond around the globe, appearing at every festival touchpoint imaginable. Electric Daisy Carnival in Las Vegas, Tomorrowland in Belgium, Electric Zoo in New York, and as well as the Future Music Festival in Australia. His mixed work has earned him two number one places on the iTunes US Dance Album Chart with his Anjuna Deep 02 and Anjuna 3 compilations, the latter of which he debuted during his live set at Around the World 350, streamed live to a listen-in audience of 30 million from the Hollywood Palladium. His smash hit trance collaboration Code Red with Finnish duo Super 8 and Tab retained the number one single on Beatport Trance for two weeks as he toured off the back of the release with the duo. His second artist album, Multiverse, is a time-honored Anjuna Beats favorite. JTEC is an international icon for progressive house music worldwide, but his best is yet to come. With his new album, and subsequent tour in the works, as well as some exciting and innovative music on the horizon, JTEC shows
shows no signs of slowing down on his relentless dedication to his craft. Yo, check this out. What's up, world? It's episode 14 of the Remix Your World podcast with me, Allison Kalagna, and today I am talking to JTech. I will be honest, I totally got a little nervous. I did. When he got on the Skype, I actually got really nervous, but that's okay. You know, he inspires me. He's an amazing producer. And if there comes a point when I don't get a little nervous, giddy, or flustered when someone I find inspiring talks to me, you can all bitch slap me. Okay? All right, great. We sat down for about an hour and talked about life, about music, about production, about what he's up to, Positronic, his label, some secret thing that he's working on that he can't share. Damn it. But we'll know soon. So without further ado, let's just jump right into my conversation with JTech. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hello, how are you? Good, good. How are you? I am fantastic. It's so weird to hear your voice, but cool at the same time because I've listened to it so many times on your podcast. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Well, it's good. I'm so grateful, A, that you are here. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I'm just grateful that you said yes. You know, so I don't know if you know so much about me and what it is that I do, but I'll just give you a little bit of a backstory. Is I've been a touring DJ and all of that for a very long time, for 25 years, mostly primarily in the gay circuit world. And I just got to a point where I was like, this is not working. I'm burnt out. And I got, went through a really dark space and had to go and really take care of myself, you know, and get off the road. And in that healing, I was aware of other people's healings. And that made me become a coach. And now I coach artists and DJs. And I'm just trying to create a bigger conversation around what it's like to have more balance in the world of electronica and being on the road. So, like, that's what Remix Your World is really about. Um, and, you know, you've always been really positive, And I love listening to your music. And I love the things that you've shared. So when you shared that post about it not being easy, I was just like, you know what? Let me just ask him. So I'm really grateful that you said yes. So thank you so much. Of course. And I think we're probably kindred spirits in that sense, in that um, I think balance is is such an important thing to me uh, in this day and age. It's more important to me than I think most of the attributes and values that people probably think that DJs are going for. You know, like I, th- I think especially sort of in the last 10 years, it's it's changed. But at the mm-hmm. beginning, it was like, you know, um, I think there was this assumption that that all DJs and and record producers are making lots of money, <laughs> making amounts, <laughs> making you know astronomical amounts of money, and being famous and living this rock star lifestyle. And um, that is true for some people. But I think what I love what I love lately is that um, you know the creativity is is returning to the to the scene and the scene itself is being very much put back in the hands of the creators and the creative people. And it's becoming this much more manageable thing. And what we need more than ever is a middle class for electronic music and for music creation. Um, You know, just like anything else in the world, just like so many of these systems in the world that have become either you're, you're in this inner circle and you, everything is bestowed upon you and (laughs) you know, um, and your life is just like a total, you know, everything is taken care of or you're in the trenches slumming it and everything is, is a total pain in the butt. So right. um, anything that we can do to make make that more equalized and more balanced, I think is a great thing. Yeah, which is awesome. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So you fell in love with music 
pretty early from what I'd read, like 16. You were went to a festival and that was it. Yeah. So um, I was always a music guy and mm. I really think to this day um, it's all thanks to these kind of positive belief systems that my mother and my aunt sort of instilled in me when I was young, you know, um, they sort of started teaching me piano when I was like four years old or something, like really, really young, you know, mm. um, very basic stuff to begin with, obviously. Uh, but they always said like, you're really good at this. You're going to, you're going to go places with this. You're going to, this is what you're going to do. You know, you have this special thing. And I think just pe people always telling me that, uh, is what made me ultimately go and do it. And, um, you know, as an Australian, I'm living in this very sort of now I realize quite isolated bubble of the world. <laughs> but back then I was like, I'm going to take over the world with this music, you know, um, with, with no concept of how big the world is, but I set out to do it. And uh, it sort of worked. Like I, I never became like the world's number one DJ or anything, but I did manage to have an impact that sort of echoed around the world. And uh, yeah, I really think it's thanks to these positive belief systems. And um, so, you know, uh, when I was 16, I was already sort of planning to do like a life of music, but when I, it was that age that I realized that it wasn't going to be, you know, this more traditional musical mm. career that most people think of, but it was going to be something, this new wave of electronic music that didn't make sense to anybody back then, but is, has now taken the world by storm and is one of, you know, in some, in some parts of the world, it's like this, you know, like say like in the Netherlands, it's, it's become this like huge part of their economy and, you know, and it's, it's this industry that has seeped its way into every corner of life in this day mm -hmm. and age. Yeah, I remember I was young too. At 16, I touched my first turntable and that was it. I was like, okay, that's it. I'm screwed. This is what I'm doing. <laughs> I went hardcore yeah. and that was it. And I remember, I mean, I fell in love with house music, but way back in like, with like Black Box, you know, back in the early 90s. And, and so it was just like, okay, yeah, I was the same kind of way. I went strong for it. My next question, though, I was going to ask you, were your parents supportive? But you just kind of answered that. So that's good to hear. When you when you shared with them, this is what I want to do, aside from them being a positive role models for you in positivity, were they like, yeah, go for it, do it? Yeah, they, they very much were. Um, they definitely had no idea where it was going. Um, mm -hmm. And they sort of cut a deal with me, which was like, please just focus on your studies and, and you know, like make get through school, um, you know, while you while you do this, you know, don't don't throw, don't, you know, cause I, cause by the end of, of sort of high school, I was a little bit checked out of school because I was so, um, ready to do this. And so <laughs> I was like, mom, dad, like, I'm really, I'm really excited about this. And they were like, that's great. And we totally support it. You know, just make sure, you know, like we, we, you know, we really want you to just, you know, see this, this whole school thing through to the end. And I'm, I'm really glad that they, that they, you know, instilled that in me because I think it was important to sort of get to the finish line with that, even though I was so ready to start uh, doing this music stuff. Um, and, I, you know, like years later, I was I was reading about Maddie on the French producer, who's one of my one of my big inspirations because of how much he's sort of pushing the envelope. And uh, mm. he quit school like he quit high school to do this. Like he was he was super young and he was like, nope, like this is what I want to do. And and uh, it paid off for him, you know, and I'm sure I'm sure there are probably lots of stories of people who have done that same thing and, and it hasn't. Um, but I, I think it really goes to show that sometimes you just know what you want to do and you know that you have something to share with the world and there's no time to waste, you know? Yeah, I, I'm one of those people. I quit school. Yeah. <laughs> 
I um, did. And my mom was, they were supportive. They were, their whole thing was like, you have to at least get your GAD. Yeah. You know, if you're not going to go to college, whatever, you know, but, but they were, so I'm definitely, I get it. I was one of those people too. And it worked out. It did work out. So that yeah. was good. <laughs> um, and I did go to college for a very short amount of time. And the main reason was because in school, we were always instilled with this idea of like, you have to go to a university next year and you have to decide what it's going to be now. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, so whereas some people took like a year off or whatever, like I, I went straight into this bachelor of music and I realized pretty, pretty soon that, you know, I, I was, I was not going to be able to, you know, sit there for, for four years studying music <laughs> further. I wanted to start making it happen now. Start and um, so that didn't last very long because this career was already underway and I was already releasing music and starting to tour. And so, yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think in hindsight, like I, I wish somebody had, at the school had kind of told me like, you know, you, you, you don't necessarily have to do this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think for, for creative industries, so much of it is done by feel and by DIY and trial and error that, it, you yeah. know, um, some of these sort of much more rigid systems don't don't always work so well, you know, like they mm. would like they do for say doctors and lawyers and things where you definitely want to learn everything in the rule book before you start. Right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, because creatively, it's like we learn by trial and error. Or that you know didn't sound good, or this sound totally. It's more about you're not doing that in the doctor's office. You're not saying, oh, let me try and just maneuver this part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and a, a great quote I heard once was that, um, you know, people are coming to an artist to either see or hear their struggle against their own limitations. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember who that quote was from. Um, maybe if you've got some show notes, I can look that up. Yeah. Um, but it's so true. It's like, you know, everything is kind of a mistake in the artistic world. It's it's creative chaos. And uh, I think we as, as musicians have to, we're bringing order to this chaos. We're reaching into this realm of complete possibility and and bringing and refining it into something that people can connect with. And uh, that's something that takes a lifetime to learn. And you never reach the finish line with learning that, you know, it's always a learning process. Yeah. And just keep going and keep going. So I know that, you know, Tiesto discovered you. How was it that that went down? That was uh, an In Search of Sunrise compilation. Mm -hmm. And um, that was, I think it was around like 2006. And um that was a track that uh, I was releasing on Rapid Response Recordings. Um, mm-hmm. Some good buddies of mine who definitely helped my career, uh, Nick and Phil. And um, yeah, basically, uh, Tiesto wanted the track, but it wasn't trancey enough, and so they were like, mm-hmm. "You need to, you need to turn this trance knob up to like eleven, you know, for this for this track, because he because re- he wants it." And so I was like, "Oh my god!" And that's one of the hardest things to do for me is to make something full trance. I'm always. Mm-hmm. I'm always mildly <laughs> delving into the world of trance, like, but I never, it's, you know, uh, but that was the first time I really did that. Uh, and it got picked up and it, you know, got released on this CD that was, you know, put out all over the world and, you know, very much, you know, changed the whole landscape for me, you know? Yeah. Do you remember what that was like getting that, that call? Um, I mean, it was pretty exciting. Uh, those guys were, were actually loads of fun to work with, the rapid response mm-hmm. guys, because um, they were always calling me and, and amping me up about the whole thing. Um, and I think getting a, getting a copy of the CD in the mail signed by Tiesto, you know, saying thanks for your track, that was pretty special. And I still have that under the house somewhere at my parents' place. <laughs> and then the big, the big boys, Anjuna, what was that like? Yeah, uh, so then I was releasing... Uh, records myself on my, mm-hmm. I had my first 
uh, label, Red 7 Records, which I had a few releases with. Um, and so I was putting out vinyl <laughs> records, which still seems <laughs> insane to me now. Um, and uh, that was an interesting fluctuating time for vinyl releases. And so um, our distributor kind of went bust and mm-hmm. all of the labels on that distributor sort of disappeared overnight. And uh, so it was this time of flux of like, you know, do I, do, you know, I had this, we had this service taking care of all the vinyl releases, the physical releases. Uh, and it was a question of like, did we still want to, you know, find some other way to make these records happen? And it was right at that mm. point that Anjuna stepped in and they had noticed one of the tracks that I was releasing on that label. And they said, well, uh, we can see you're already re- releasing this yourself, but like, we'd like to help you promote it. And it got used on, I think it was in like an Anjuna Beats worldwide CD. Mm. And so we got talking and then uh, it was James Grant who sort of said, um, well, firstly, they invited me to come and play in India at the Sunburn Festival um, okay. in Goa. And so that nice. was the first time I kind of opened for Above and Beyond. And then uh, then James Grant later asked me, um, would you like to come to the UK and kind of start a new life on the other side of the planet and, you know, <laughs> work in the Anjuna studios and all this kind of stuff. And so that's where it all began. It was uh, wow. That was when I was 22, so uh, just over 10 years ago. And um, that kind of changed everything, those two years in London, just <laughs> being on tour all the time and living this crazy London life. It was great. Yeah, I mean, and you with it's like the 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 holy grail, you know. If Anjuna says welcome, it's kind of like you know you're like welcomed into the holy grail of electronic dance music. It's pretty amazing. I mean, that's how I found you. I found you through Anjuna Deep. Um, I don't even know what. Gosh, it was. I mean, it must have been 2010, 11, or something like that. That's kind of how I remember hearing you, and I was like, whoa, who is this guy? This good. This guy's music is good. And I remember you had. <laughs> slowly as i started to follow you your music kept growing in terms of sonically and you know like it kept getting you it's almost like you went from deep to beats but like in a in a progression of your music as well it just kept getting bigger and bigger i I remember feeling that um and so as now the stuff you know like aftershock to me it feels like so much more ballsier than what i you know like in when i originally fell in love with you know, the JTAC sound. So it's been amazing to watch you grow as an artist from this side of it and, and as somebody who's played your records. So I'm curious as how, how has that changed for you as a producer? You know, what kind of tools kind of came into your world that helped you kind of remix that in a sense of getting a bigger sound, going for bigger um, production value in, in terms of your sound and sonics? Um, well, I think... I've probably changed a lot as a person in the last mm-hmm. 10 years. Um, so, you know, say like my first album and sort of all of the music from that, everything is okay time on the end. When I first started working with Anjuna Deep, I was this kind of starry eyed, you know, 20, early 20s kid who, um, mm-hmm. and, and that was sort of the sound that really brought me into the world was this like, I was this complete, innocent, like, you know, uh, had no idea what the world was like, but yet I was setting out into it to sort of take mm-hmm. it over. And, uh, it was just this magical time and, you know, it'll, it'll never be quite like that again because life just sort of changes and mm-hmm. you become more adept at, you know, you, you, you sort of figure yourself out as you go along. And so I, I think what's different now is that, I think back then there was certainly a lot of struggle to make the music, struggling to sort of figure things out, figure myself out, like what is my sound, 
you know, and especially, uh, you know, I think any young artist who has some initial success will, will tell you, like, sometimes it can be hard to figure out what you're, ne- what you, what you're going to say next. You know, once you've said something and it's resonated with the world, then everyone is sort of waiting for, for your, next, your next big message. You know, what are you going <laughs> to say next? Um, so I think what's really changed now is that, um, you know, I've made so much peace with um, this crazy artistic life, you know, and it's something that's sort of come up again and again, you know, lately, especially this year is, you know, hang on a second, like, is there any system in place whatsoever to make sure that these artists are actually like coping with, you know, either a struggle for success or conversely too much success. And, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, as suddenly people are starting this this sheen has sort of this veil has been lifted from you know what people perceive to be this incredibly spectacular rock star lifestyle and suddenly it's like well hang on a second is this actually you know are people actually doing okay you know Mm -hmm. and um i mean the number one reason that this has has even happened in the first place is um you know the advent of social media you know the the music world completely got sucked into the vortex of social media and uh, social media became the platform upon which everything was built. You know, you as an artist, you know, Mm -hmm. your home, on your your online presence, your public presence, your marketing for your events, your communication with your fans, everything became sucked into social media and social media had this weird way of being very welcoming at first, but then after a little while it was like, the engineering of the systems changed to make everybody feel like they weren't being paid attention to anymore and that they needed to, that something was missing and that they needed to do something in order to make themselves feel included again. And, um, so I think that's finally something that we're, that we're coming to terms with. And I don't think it's really anybody's fault. I think it was just, you know, the whole world has changed dramatically in the last 15 years. Music has changed, you know, like, you know, it was only like, you know, 15 years ago that everything was, was being released on a vinyl record, on a vinyl. Yeah. spinning on a turntable, which seems kind of crazy nowadays when you're in this analog dance music, you know? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think, you know, uh, so I, a lot of people like me, I know, have been searching for some way to make all of this okay. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the truth is that like under the hood, uh, a, a music career is very difficult and it's a gamble. Yeah. And, um, a lot of people, you know, sort of have certain expectations of what they're going to get out of it. And they get very crestfallen and very set back when, when they don't get that. Um, so I think the biggest thing that's changed for me is that I have this wonderful release from that attachment to this music stuff having to work now, you know? Um, and once you can start looking at it with that frame of mind, everything becomes like a joyful bonus. And, uh, you know, um, Obviously, you know, anyone who's been in this industry, as long as you and I have, at some point, something has gone horrendously wrong with like the, you know, the administrative side of things, you know, somebody, somebody hasn't done their job properly, Mm -hmm. you know, somebody's, somebody's broken the rules, Um, you know, it it can get sort of very ugly. Um, So the way that I look at it now is that I'm here to be this conduit. I have this connection to this certain place that I can bring music from. And uh, I want to stand in the way of, of that as little as possible. So the music mm. isn't about me anymore. I think that's probably what's changed. It's about mm. it's about everybody else. And um, 
Yeah. And so I think from this point on, I'm always going to be working to, you know, clean house and, you know, make sure that all the systems, you know, that, that make this wonderful music happen are actually working properly, you know, and not just for me, but for everybody else as well. And so that's, you know, that's what I want most of all for my music nowadays is, is to help this world uh, operate more smoothly so that people can just get back down to business of making the records and, you know, and being fabulous because that's what it used to be all about. You know, I, I think, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we've come from this era in like the, you know, the seventies or the eighties of like, you know, you write a hit record and it sets you up for the rest of your life. It gets played mm-hmm. on the radio forever and you never have to think about anything again, you know, um, you can be a one hit wonder, not which, which is great, you know, um, <laughs> but I mean, we shouldn't be living aspiring to be only that, or we shouldn't, yeah. you know, we shouldn't need that to sustain ourselves. And I think, you know, uh, the last couple of years, um, Patreon has been great. Even this this month, um, you know, Patreon are doing a huge push uh, for all of their creators um, to, you know, get their fans more excited. And it's basically, mm-hmm. you know, um, that was something uh, my label business partner and I started uh, about two and a half years ago. And um, we created this online fan club for my mix show podcast um yeah. something that we never would have thought would have, would have taken off um but now we have like you know a bunch of fans who every month are part of this sort of like um you know they they tip a few bucks for the content they love and get some fun extras in return um you know and uh it's just you know, new systems like this are allowing allowing people you know we're using the technology to uh monetize what we're doing and um mobilize our fan bases at the same time so that it's not just us versus the world anymore right yeah and when you i love what you do on patreon i like that you give the sometimes you have the ableton sessions or you have that so i think you're doing a really great job with that and if you guys don't know what that is i'll link that up as well because it's it is really awesome um when you think of in terms of obstacles like what you just shared, what what is one of the biggest obstacles that you had to overcome in terms of not necessarily in the business, but emotionally side of things, you know, like that being on the road a lot. How did you learn how to kind of deal with that? Because I, I know with me, with my own burnout and I really hit rock bottom pretty hard. And that's why I'm my whole position now is to really take a stand for artists to find more balance in their world, you know. And so what did you what was one of the hardest times for you and how did you kind of shift that for you to get to the place that you're at now? Um Probably the hardest thing for me was that I had like uh, a crippling fear of flying my whole life. (laughs) And I found myself in this line of work where I had to like face my worst fear like on an almost weekly basis (laughs) for like a decade. And um, that was interesting. You know, I always knew that it was going to, the further this went, the more I was going to have to fly. And, um, you know, it just, every time I would go on tour, I'd be like, oh my God. And then then I started uh, like traveling in the US and it was like, okay, now you need to fly like, you know, um, dozens of times in the next few weeks. Uh, you know, like there was, there was one tour where we were sort of flying six days a week. Oh. And um, so, yeah, so the, the travel, I mean, for me, like when I go on, on tour, it's like, I think it's the same for anyone. Like the, the gig is loads of fun. Like what you're getting paid for really is, is the, the fact that you're traveling there and the, mm-hmm. you know, like the energy that you expend just doing that and being in like late night hotel rooms by yourself and jet lagged. And, you know, yes. um, that's what you're really, but so, uh, you know, it was this constantly scary thing and, um, it was always a little bit overwhelming. You know, some of the, some of the first U S tours I did was, which with just so many dates, uh, in such a short amount of time, it sort of threw me in the deep end. Um, mm-hmm. And, 
you know that was always real. That was always really overwhelming. I mean, obviously, like uh, I'm much, I'm a much better flyer now than I used to be because I'm so well. For st- I'm so much more zen and chill than I used to be about everything. But also, mm-hmm. I've just had so much exposure to it. Um, but yeah, I would say something that actually really helped me. Um, there was I love the Tim Ferriss uh, podcast. I, yes. loved, I love talk show podcasts in general. Yes. Um, and something one of his guests said, uh, Derek Sivers from CD Baby. He said, CD Baby, yeah. You know, he was like. He said, if you go for a run and, you know, if you think too much about like all of the different, different aspects and elements of what you're doing, it's going to trip you up. You know, you don't want to think about like putting your shoes on and then putting, you know, putting the rest of your clothes on and then like going out for a run and doing this. And then, you know, like you just, just go and get it done. Just make it like one step, just go for a run. And, um, that has been actually hugely helpful thinking about things like that, especially because like last month I had, I had two weekends where I was flying in like a triangle around North America. So I was starting in Seattle and then like, so there was like, I was flying somewhere like, you know, in the Southeast of the country, then back to the West coast and back up to Seattle. So I had, I had two weekends like that and it was like, Oh my God, you know, this is going <laughs> to, this is going to be a lot. Um, but it was just a matter of just go and get it done. Just go and do it. And in a weird way, it, like it's much better to you know to sort of simplify those things in your mind and be like, okay, once I'm actually on the road, uh, I'll know what to do. You know, I've done this mm-hmm. many times before, and you know, I know how to check into a hotel. I know how to get to the airport. I know what to do if like the flight screws up. I know yeah. what to, I know what to do at the gig. You know, I know what to do if the sound craps out. I know what to do if I hit the wrong button on the CDJ. I have, I, you know, <laughs> it um, happens. I'll, I'll figure it out. And so yeah. I think I have that that trust in myself to just go and get it done. You know. Um, and yeah, and in a weird way, that sort of empowers you to get on a plane and go to the other side of the world for a weekend and come back. And, you know, if you think about that too hard, about everything that goes into that, you know, and the technology that goes into that, you know, it, it, it can be a bit insane. But um, yeah, I, I think that's the, a really good way to look at it. Yeah, no, I love that. I used to have a really big fear of flying. So I, I was on a really crazy little small plane and it I swear that that was it I was like oh my god this, this is it this is actually it and I was like grabbing the person next to me I was petrified and I think for like a year and a half maybe even like two even could have even longer I didn't take gigs that I had to fly to I started driving it paralyzed me that much yeah and then I you know I did um some hypnotherapy and some EMDR I did some work around it and it totally was better and now it's not a big deal but yeah it, it i it's a big fear and i i sometimes can catch myself in it at, at times as well but then it's just like i'm here what whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen there's nothing that i can do and i have to trust that there's something greater guiding so it is what it is kind of thing yeah i think for me um it, it was the i think the biggest thing that helped me was um uh the realization that well, actually, like like you said, I I had a I had a flight from hell, and I mean that speaks volumes about like you know the the boringness of flying because like in the hundreds of flights that I've done, like that was the only like really 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 scary one, and you know right. even even in that moment, you know um, it was it was quite a long patch of scariness on this flight too. It was mm-hmm. flying I think from Singapore to Sydney or something, and and um, it was just about three hours of like you know. Um, sort of disaster scenario flight, which I'm, I'm sure like the pilots were up in the cockpit just being like, yeah, this is fine. This is nothing. You know? But for me, it was like, it was the end. This is, you know? right. and it just, and it just went on for such a long time that I hit this point where I, I had no more fear to throw at the situation anymore because I was just exhausted. I was like, you know, I, I had no idea it was going to go on for this long. And I just hit a point where I was like, okay, like, like 
I had this kind of weird epiphany of, of, I think from that point onwards, everything was kind of okay because I mean, it's never, it's, it's never going to be that scary again, you know, (laughs) like it was weird. Once I, once I hit the limit of how scared I was of this thing, it's, it's sort of, it started to disintegrate after that. And, um, you know, the, the fact is like flying is the safest thing that you can do. (laughs) It's the the safest, (laughs) it's the safest thing you can do as a human being. And, uh, I think in, if you take a flight in the USA now, you have to statistically you have to fly every day for like one hundred and twenty thousand years before statistically something's going to happen to you. So there comes yeah. a point where you just have to let go of it and just be like, just do it. You know, just do don't, it. don't stay home and you know, yeah. like you know, like get hit by a falling frying pan that falls off a shelf. <laughs> you know, like just get out there and build your house on the, on the side of Mount Vesuvius, as they say, <laughs> you know? So what um, made you want to move to Seattle? Tell us about that. Um, so Seattle's always been like a really special place for progressive house music. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so uh, I've been sort of looking for like a new place to, to put down some roots for a time because mm-hmm. there has been a lot of moving around. Uh, Boston was really great. That was sort of my entry point into the USA. Um, but yeah, it just sort of worked out this way. I've got a bunch of friends up here. And um, so I'm now like in the process of building a studio, which is I'm this is actually day two. Uh, so you, nice. it's, I'm sitting in here right now and it's um, almost acoustically ready. It's it's like 90 percent there. And it's um, I've got this place for a year. So I'm basically just going to see how Seattle feels after a year and then maybe go to something else. Um mm-hmm. But the plan is basically just to uh, to smash it in the studio for the next year here and, you know, um, have loads of fun in the Pacific Northwest and um, hopefully fly Alaska Airlines everywhere because they've been great. And, um, <laughs> yeah, just have a good time, basically. Nice. And I, I know that you had said that you were looking into doing gaming music, right? Yeah. So that's, um, that's sort of bubbling away at the moment. Um, mm. So I've been doing... Um, well, another limitation, but back to what you said before, that I that I kept coming up against was my own sound and um, okay. getting records to sound right in clubs, getting records mm. to sound right on, on a huge systems, and um, that's something that I was tearing my hair out over for years back in the day. And um, as a result, I kind of became a mixing and mastering engineer. Like it was never, it, it, it was never that was never supposed to happen. It was just like, okay, I've I have done the hard yards here, like losing my mind over getting mixes mixes to sound right. <laughs> Um, so eventually I hit the point where I was like, okay, well, if, if anybody else, uh, you know, needs this service, like, you know, I've, I've, you know, aged 10 years, like faster than I probably should have, you know, you know, like getting to this point of obsessing over audio. Um, and now it's something I don't really think so much about anymore. And so, um, yeah. Which is, which is good to know that you're doing that because your sound, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm excited for that because I, you know, I have my mix engineer for things, but as I start to write different, more melodic and progressive music, for me, it's like knowing that you now offer that as a service is like, well, man, that's like a no brainer then because you've mastered that big melodic sound. So that's awesome that you are going to start doing that. Yay. Yeah. And so selfishly, um, I'm really happy about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I love it. Like, you know, um, I, I just, it's something that actually is really therapeutic for me in a weird way is, is this, this bringing order to chaos. And, uh, I think when people come to me, like, you know, they're like, I've got this project and I've been, I've listened to it like 2000 times right. and I can't, I can't see the way out of the woods anymore. And, you know, um, so, I mean, that's something that's, that's, you know, I, I ended up becoming like, you know, a sort of main 
like part of my life of my sort of working life and um yeah and so you know I'm at, I'm at this point in my life of connecting all the dots and uh you know video games and the video game industry are like a huge passion of mine and mm. you know um I so grew if up you with could, video if games. You could score any video game which what's your favorite what would you love to have some of your music on well, I think the Mass Effect series, they're, they're my favorite games of all time. And they have this great sort of like retro synthesizer, futuristic mm. space soundtrack. And uh, I love sort of ambient space music, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so that is definitely the kind of thing I would love to do. Um, but I think also what I, what I love about sort of doing production music, you know, is and game music and stuff like that is that it... It's 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 telling a story that isn't about you, uh, which mm. I think is really fun as well. You know, uh, it's not it's not about you. It's about it's about like whatever the consumer is looking at, you know, or mm. whatever they're experiencing, and and amplifying that. And um, yeah, I think that's something that's really exciting. So it's definitely something I'm gonna gonna look into more over the next year. Yeah, that's awesome. Do, now, do they? I'm curious because like I have stuff that's been like on TV or film, but I never know the scenes. It's stuff that I just have, like, in a catalog, right? You know, that that this person, like, shops for it, right? Yeah. In video games, is it similar to that, or would you get a shot of, you know, the scene of it? Do they send you images, or it's how both. does that work? It's, it's both. both. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I know a lot of indie uh, studios use, like, the, the sort of production music libraries and stuff like that. But um, it really is all about who you know. It's what it's mm. – that's, you know, and um, – yeah, it's it's ultimately it depends on on what sort of project you're doing as well. So you know, um, but yeah, I think some of the bigger studios they they it's it's sort of like movies where they sort of employ certain artists to do a, a particular kind of soundtrack for a particular kind of game. You know, right? Yeah, which would be so cool. Yeah. So do you find do you like to kind of geek out in mixing and mastering more in other people's projects than your own? Um. I think with other people's projects, it's always easier because mm. you're sort of taking the essence of what they what they're going for. You're, you're looking at what they're trying to say, and you're sort of fleshing that out, and yeah. um, you're sort of giving them a helping hand, uh, sort of exalting and amplifying the good qualities of their music, and. Mm. Um, that's definitely something that's easier to apply to somebody else's creative process because they have different blind spots from you. Mm-hmm. Um, so say with my own music, uh, I have like a little, little group WhatsApp type situation with, um, about maybe like a dozen of my friends back in Australia who have been involved in the JTEC project in one way or another since day one, okay. since I was like 17 years old and mm-hmm. they follow absolutely everything that I do. And, uh, I always get them to listen to my music and tell me if it sucks or tell me what resonates <laughs> with them. And I'm always, always surprised at like which of the tracks they like more than others because it's never what I would have expected. Um, so I, I think there is really something to be said for blind spots and you can't always see yourself so clearly and you have to sort of take your ego out of the music a little bit. Um, so yeah, I think peering into somebody else's project, it's usually pretty clear what needs to be done. It's usually it's usually a pretty straightforward process. Um, it's almost never done in one take. You know, I always send it to people, and I'm like, you know, if there's something that you wanted to bring out more, or you know, this, you know, mm. there's always something that the artist was like a bit more attached to than than I personally am. And if right. they if they want that brought out, then that's totally cool because there are really no wrong answers with this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, 
with my own music, I tend to sort of just chip away at things as I go. It's a case, it's a case of continuous improvement. I come back to the project. I just listen for the first thing that, that sucks about it that needs to be fixed and I fix it. And I keep mm-hmm. doing that until it's time to send it out, you know? Um, and do you, do you mix in, do you then mix in the session itself or do you bounce to stems and then mix the stems? If it's my own track, I'll, I'll mix in the session itself. For in the sure. session. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm a big believer in just taking wherever it's at right now and just improving on that. Um, it mm-hmm. can be very hard to reinvent your mix from the ground up with your own track um, <laughs> because so much of the original magic is in that first demo. And mm. to get that cleanliness of sound, to get that professional polish, you always have to sacrifice a little bit of that magic. You always, mm. you know, uh, so it's a, you have to walk a very delicate line. And if you, if you remove all of your processing and remove everything and start from square one, it'll never sound quite the same. So right. I, yeah, I'm a big believer in just like, just take, take the best version that you've got right now and then just what's the next step to get it to, to where it needs to be. You know, in your creative process, so like when you go to write a song, say Aftershock or probably one of my favorite tracks from 2017, I'm going to butcher it wrong. How do you say it? Is it Rikane? Rikane? What's the damn, the music, that damn song. What is, how do you say the name? Oh, uh, it's, it's amazing how many people don't know this. It's, uh. <laughs> So it's it's Rosinante and it's the um Rosinante. My it's, god, it's yeah. The spaceship in the Expanse, the books in the TV series. Yeah, I have no idea. But that song <laughs> li- literally there's not a set that goes by that 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 does not get played. It it is it is it's amazing in production. And that, so is when you go in to write something, do you have an intention of what you're going to write or are you just free flow and just let what comes to you? Uh once again it's a, it's a it's a bit of a mix of both. Both. Yeah. yeah. Um so there is a forthcoming trance collaboration, which I can't say too much about right now, but it involves okay. me and a number of other artists that people who are into my music will know. Okay. Um, and so for that track uh, in particular, like I've just done a sketch of the musical essence. Um, mm. I've sort of dreamed it up before even putting pen to paper um, and I've written that musical essence and now I'm, now I'm sending it to, to the others to, to work on. Um, so that is a, actually a really good way to write a track because it, you know, uh, it means you've got a good vision for it right at the start. Um, yeah. for my forthcoming album, it's much more erratic and just about just writing whatever feels right at the feels time, good. you know? Yeah. And then, and then once again, so I've, I've got a bit of a listening party for this, for this almost 30 track album demo that I have that we're going to have to whittle down to like 12 or 13 tracks in the end. Um, wow. and so yeah, my, my friends are all listening to it at the moment, um, and helping me go through it, you know? Wow. That's amazing. It's good that you have that kind of support. Yeah. Like, does sure. this, I, I love that you asked, does this suck? <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing what we think sucks and what somebody else thinks is amazing and vice versa. Right. It's like, yeah, yeah. I've had things that I absolutely hate that people, my friends love and, and vice versa. Yeah. Um, so, go ahead. Oh, so there's this one album demo track, um, and it's got this like coconut clap. That's what all my friends have called it. And it's just <laughs> it's like at the end of every every two bars, there's like this coconutty sounding clap sound. And every, everyone was like, "Oh, this track is great, but get rid of that damn coconut clap. It sounds awful." I was like, "Oh yeah, it kind of does." I had never thought about that, you know. Um, right. So yeah, you do. You, you you you. I definitely believe in not going it alone, and you know, having some people to to check you and make sure that you uh, are sounding good and that you haven't missed anything glaring like a coconut clap, you know. Right. Yeah. Like I gotta have more coconut clap. 
so if you are feeling if you have a bad day you're feeling low and uninspired do you take to music or do you walk away from the music what do you do um, it's pretty holistic nowadays, I have to say. Mm. Um, so I've definitely stopped kind of struggling against the project. It's it's very rare that I'm sort of sitting in a studio being like, oh, I have to get this finished, but how am right. I going to solve this thing? You know, um, I'm much more likely to just come in and, you know, do whatever I can to make it, you know, a positive impact on it. And it might not even be that much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for this album demo, that's kind of how I've been collectively working on the projects. And it's so weird because it goes against the logic of so many other things in life where people like do one thing at a time and complete that one thing and Mm. then, and then move on to the next thing. Um, you know, for me, it's actually quite different from that, you know, like with mixed projects, I always want to, I always want to do a handful at a time. Yeah. And, uh, with my own tracks as well, it's like, I'm always working on more music than I need because I am going to be narrowing it down. Um, and so whenever I'm working on something, I'm usually working on it for as long as it's fun. And yeah. then, you know, it's weird because that also repl- requires some discipline to make sure that you get music finished. And there was a long time there where I was not getting anything finished. Mm. But, but by working on things in, in sort of like small batches that are digestible amounts of work, um, yeah. I can sort of jump back and forth between things and keep it fun and fresh. Um, because when you go in four bar loop land for too long, <laughs> you know, that's when you start to make errors in judgment and you start to lose focus. Yeah. But wait, it's only been an hour and a half and I haven't found the perfect hi-hat yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It happens. Where do you find that you're the most happiest? I think in the studio, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, I love going on tour, don't get me wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. But as we sort of talked about before, it, it is something that requires a lot of energy for me and it's something that it, it, it comes at a price you know it's not this completely uh fun experience all the time you know mm-hmm. um and sometimes it really is like if you have like a gig in a city where you've got like a bunch of friends hanging out and everyone's having a party and right. they've got an airbnb for the weekend and you know like that's great you know it's really fun yeah. but then you know it's like i i spent my 30th birthday like flying to China for a weekend and my actual birthday was sort of fl- on a plane back from China and right. it was such a cool trip but it was also like this is insane <laughs> like you know right. um this is just like it's it's not always such a super fun experience um and so yeah I think when I did change the paradigm of uh you know I want this to be fun I want you know it needs to be fun for me as well because that's ultimately going to give everyone else the best product as well if you know if what I'm creating yeah. comes from a place of fun and a place of love and not tearing my hair out over stuff. Um, so yeah, I love being in the studio. Um, you know, I've got a great sort of, um, the Y axis of my studio is, is this, is the speakers and, and, you know, and, mm. and acoustic treatment and all that kind of stuff. Um, and the X axis is video games. So I've got like a big TV in here and, you know, um, nice. a Nintendo switch. And so I, I've got this great sort of, um, place that I can retreat from the world but at the same time I'm so connected to the world because I'm doing stuff like this and I'm I'm making something that I'm going to share with the world and take on tour so um yeah Mm. I am definitely enjoying being back in the studio more for sure that's awesome do you would you say that you have some sort of spiritual practice definitely yeah um so and yeah it's sort of uh I mean, it's it's nothing particularly surprising in this in this day and age, being like a millennial, you know, a, a modern sort of mindfulness, you know, that yes. kind of. Um, but I I actually started doing yoga 
10 years ago. So I've been doing nice. yoga, meditation, that kind of stuff for 10 years. And um, so, yeah, that, that's probably been a, been a big part of, of this whole journey is the fact that, yeah, I think that helped me, you know, be more in sync with life and, and not let life pass me by. You know, I think when I was younger, like some of these crazy experiences were so cool, but they were also coming at me so fast that so I fast. barely yeah. noticed them, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think, yeah, being in this in this very peaceful place that I'm in now, you know, I, I feel in a much better position to actually really enjoy everything that's happening. Um, not to mention, you know, sort of letting go of any judgment of this world that we're in and, you know, like what it's supposed to be and what, you know, any like judgment of other, other artists or what they're doing or anything like that, or, right. you know, or if, you know, even, even like on the, on the administrative side of things, I think, you know, sort of, conducting my career in a way that I know that things are going to going to blow up sometimes, you know, right. sometimes I'm going to have to blow up at somebody because they've screwed something up or, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, an, it's a natural part of dealing with so many different human beings, you know? Um, yeah. but this place that I'm at right now, it's, um, yeah, I'm in a much better position to just be able to enjoy it because I'm much better, you know, stepping away from it all now. And it, it doesn't define me. It's, you know, it's, uh, to me anyway, it's, it's, it's a huge part of who I am, but it's also something that I can walk away from and disconnect from. So I think that's really mm. important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you're in a beautiful place. You can hike, you can be outside. You can, if that was me, I, I was in Miami in South Florida for 10 years and then Fort Lauderdale. And then I, I felt like I needed this calling to nature, you know, so I came to Colorado and I've been here now eight years and just when I'm stressed, like in the studio, if I need a minute, it's just being out, going, being able to be outside and seeing the vastness of, of our planet has just been so incredibly inspiring for me and, and, and grounding and helpful for me as well. And, and you have that out in Seattle as well. You've got some great hikes and trees. You've got nice trees. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> at the moment, actually very nice sunny weather, which has been, which has been awesome. Awesome. Um, but yeah, I've also been lucky enough to go to a lot of the national parks this year around the US and it really is just, it's an incredible place. And, um, you know, I think I, I, I often wonder like what the rest of the world must be sort of feeling right now, like from the outside looking into the USA, like what is mm-hmm. it like to be here? And the fact is it's it, to this day, it is still just an incredible place. It's the pinnacle yeah. of human civilization and it's a natural treasure as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think anything's ever going to really change that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any desire to go and do like Burning Man or? Oh yeah, for sure. Go out, and, go out in the desert for. I've never I, done that. I, I did, I've, I did. I've never gone either. It's the, yeah. I, the, I want to go for so many reasons and I know myself with sand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I have to get I past that. You definitely do have to sort of just like immerse yourself in the, in the, in the yeah. grubbiness of it right at the start, you know? Um, although it sounds like people now are sort of do, doing this sort of glamping type situation. Um, yeah. 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 I would love to go for sure. I think the, the closest thing to that that I've been to was this, was this crazy summit thing um, in Utah. Uh, and it was like this three day meeting of entrepreneurial types and all this kind of thing. Oh, and, some, summit at sea? The uh, summit people. Yeah. That's it. That's the one. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've gone on their ships. I've oh, gone nice. on the summit at sea. I oh, love nice. them. Yeah, yeah, so um, I went. It was like on this mountain in Utah that they've bought, and um, mm-hmm. as you do, and yeah. it was just, and they were like, okay, we want you to like DJ in this electric forest, and Artie was playing as well, and um, so they were like, and you can just come to the come to this summit for three days, and 
while all of the attendees were like staying in tents on top of the mountain, they drove us back down the mountain every night and put us in like this nice little lodge. Um, mm. But it was just three days of just like really cool talks and, um, you know, like just really inspiring people and stuff in this incredibly beautiful locale. And uh, I love things like that. You know, I love I love when people, you know, all these creative minds come together and, and make something really wonderful like that. I think it's really cool. Yeah, they're, they're, I went on their, their first one of their, I guess, a couple of years ago, one of the ones that they did at sea on the ship. And it was still to this day, I actually still have. I'm still wearing it. You can see it. I'm still wearing the leather band from it. It was so inspiring. It was, I mean, it was fantastic. Yeah. So that's so cool that um, you got to go to Powder Mountain. I've been wanting to get up there to do one of those events and see those too. So awesome. Yeah. So question, if you could give any advice to your younger Jimbo, what would it be? Um, honestly, I think it would be, keep meticulous records of everything and make plans and mm. have structure because, you know, for so long I was just kind of like winging it and, and, you know, fumbling my way through this, through this musical career and, you know, mm-hmm. um, and kind of always hoping for the best, but never really having a plan for the worst. And, uh, right. yeah, I, I think that's, what's really changed now is, is, you know, like, having good habits and, and having a structure to how you do everything is really important. And, um, I wish that's something that I had sort of figured out sooner, you know, is just ha- is to have really like, you know, cross your T's and dot your I's and, you know, make sure everything is done a hundred percent correctly because it's so important. And that comes down to like, you know, um, and maybe this is something I've learned from mixing and mastering as well is, is, you know, even like when working on a project, like, you know, if you're, if you're like chipping away at a baseline, if you're working on the base of your track, like get it, like get it correct and then move, mm-hmm. you know? So maybe that, that, that is one area where it's like do one thing at a time. But, um, it was amazing how much I just wasn't doing properly. And even to this day, I'm still discovering systems in this, you know? Um, so yeah, I think in a more concise way, I would say to my younger self, like create a mind map of everything that exists in your world, whether it be like, you know, create, create, map out this whole business, this whole musical enterprise, you know, everything that, that all of the different tasks and projects and possibilities and everything, like put it all down in a place that you come back to again and again and constantly improve it and always mm-hmm. make it better. Um, and that should be at the center of everything that you do. And that's, that's the way forward, I think. Yeah, I love that. I'm, you're preaching. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> when it's all said and done, what do you want? Jimbo. Who do you want Jimbo to be remembered as? Uh, I I honestly think at the end of the day, it's going to be the guy who made Pepe's Garden. You know, I don't think I'm ever going to escape that. <laughs> um, Good track. <laughs> no, but I think I want to be remembered as somebody who came into this world and reminded everybody to be positively charged and to clean clean the world up and make it a better place than it was when they arrived in it. Mm, I love that. That's amazing. So I appreciate you sitting and talking to me. What do you have coming up? I will link all of this stuff in the show notes because I want people to, for your mixing, mastering, the studio, uh, Positronic, what's coming out on Positronic? Do you want to say some things about that? Yeah. So uh, Positronic is back online and uh, we've got another release coming out in about four weeks from yours truly called Audio Virus. You heard it here first. Um, Nice. There is, once again, this super, super secret 
collaboration that I can't <laughs> talk too much about. There's going to be a super secret tour happening around that super secret collaboration. Or in fact, I think that I think it actually happened the other way around. Um, okay. So that's going to be the last quarter of this year, and it's going to be awesome. Um, so keep an eye out for that USA. Nice. Um, yeah, apart from that, I'm just going to go back to Australia at the end of the year and do another tour there, um, spend Christmas there, which is going to be great. And um, yeah, but as for this month, it's going to be studio lockdown here, finishing this album because it's like 90% done. Nice. And uh, yeah, then then who who knows after that? We'll have to, we'll have to see. So yeah, that, that's what's going on here. All right, good. And people, you got, I'll link up his podcasts as well and in the Patreon for you guys to listen as well. This has been so fun. I really appreciate you talking to me and taking some time. I know you've been busy. And I can't wait to hear what you're working on. And I just, I'm just really appreciative. Thank you so much. Hey, me too. I always love the opportunity to ramble into a microphone about what I think <laughs> and feel. So I'm, I'm very much appreciative of that as well. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. And I'll have you on again. I awesome. want to know more about the secret. So, Hell yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jimbo. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Allison. Okay, bye. So that's it for this episode. I hope you found something inspiring with my conversation with Jimbo. If you did, head over to the Remix Your World Insiders Facebook group and let us know. If you want to find out more information on JTEC, I'm going to link up all of his information in the show notes. That way you can go and listen to his amazing podcasts, follow him on Beatport, Spotify, iTunes, you name it, however you get your listening pleasure. I will link up all of his information in the show notes. If you'd like to find out more information about me, Remix Your World, and the courses that I teach, head over to RemixYourWorld.com and you could download some free meditations for those of you who are teetering on the idea of meditation or if you're looking to just remix your meditations. There's something that I produce there called the Mindful Mixtape. I'd be happy to send it to you. You could text the words meditate now, all one word, to 44222. That's meditate now to 44222. And I'll send that straight to your inbox. I look forward to spending some time with you in the future. Thanks a lot, guys. And I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you.